Hello and welcome. This is the beat from scratch with veteran Ugum Sinachi. This podcast gives you entry-level knowledge with the highest level of simplicity for very sophisticated debate materials. This podcast grants you access to understanding complex debate principles, to understanding complex debate formats, and it brings it all to a very basic level of communication. So join me as I welcome you into the classroom of analysis, logic, and debates every Saturday here on this podcast okay last class we we went through um the roles of the speakers from the prime minister down to the opposition whip and before that we also talked about uh about uh why like why every debate is uh, like what 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 we do like when we get the motion motion analysis and what we do every what every Every um, speaker, the role of every speaker. We talk about, about how the prime minister frames the debate, how he sets the motion on the, on the working of the debate, and also I think most importantly, one key part uh, with I think we dealt with during the last class was closing half. The, uh, what about uh, um, extensions that we have? Constructive extensions, analytical extensions, and can't really remember, but I think um, analytical extensions and. Um, Mm, can't remember it. And no? an argumentative extension. Uh, yeah, argumentative uh, extensions. So I think we dealt with that last during the last class, and also uh, policy debate. When 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 we are giving a policy debate, how to go about it? That policy debate is meant at causing a change, and it, whenever a policy debate is given, you need to you know. Also, show I think mechanisms from the times, alternatives that are less damaging. That's what that's what um, opposition is likely to bring into the debate. Opposition will try to bring in the, like alternatives that are less damaging than what the government bench is proposing. What the government bench will be trying to make a particular change. Thank you very very much. Success. Um. Thank you so so much. That was great. Um, do we have any other person willing to say this time briefly one thing you learned from last class? Am I audible? Yes, I can hear you just fine. Okay, so last class we talked about firstly, um, um, the question you should ask yourself during prep time, okay, in order to give yourself you know, a very good start and a very wonderful speech. So, um, first thing we talked about in that topic was why are we having these debates? I mean, you should try and understand why you're having all that debate and all that. That's the first question you should ask yourself. The second was who is affected by this, that there's major stakeholders in that debate. You should talk about where does this debate take place, that um, if you really want to preset the debate uh, and all that. You should talk about um, the things you should do in a policy debate and all that. Okay, so that was the first thing we, we talked about um, in our last session, that was last class. Okay, 
we also talk about the rules of the speakers. Um, we started with the prime minister. Um, the prime minister is supposed to define the motion, provide a complete case, and and all that. We also spoke about um the rules of the leader opposition. Um, how he should refute the prime minister's case opposed, and how so the rule of the um, leader opposition is to first refute the prime minister's case and and then also oppose, right? And why is the motion itself problematic? That was what I jotted down from Elu. So DPM also his role is to rebuild and refute the Elu's case and that. So basically, I had something now about the rule of issue. So last week, and I mean last week's session, firstly, like I said earlier, we did about the question you should ask yourself when the debate start, and secondly, about the rule of each speaker in the debate. So that is basically what um, I would like to recap from our previous session. Thank you. Okay, thank you very, very much, Samwat. That was great. So today, on episode four of season one, of debate from scratch, I want to zoom into something that has been intrinsically, you know, plaguing a lot of debaters. So, like, I had this question come to me many times. You know, many people come to you and say, "Hey, I like, I love your speech." There was an almost natural transition from one issue to the other issue to the next issue, and it seemed like you had everything under control. You had a lot of content, and you delivered them at very uh, beautiful intervals. Delivery was great. It was wonderful. I want to be like you. And um, I remember this also from a time when I used to have challenges with um, speaking. Um, as, a, as an upcoming speaker at the time, there was this toughness associated with how do you synthesize beautiful speeches and understand what made them beautiful, because I'm always obsessed with replicating a process. So um, I thought about it, and eventually, in my years of experience and growing, I got to realize that it was about structure, how a speech is structured. So um, before we go, before we go into the depth of you know what you should do within a speech, I think. We should look at the time frame, which is the skeletal framework that has been provided for us, which is our seven-minute speech. What, what would you do or what should you do in that time to ensure that you have a better structure for your speech? See, today we'll be talking about the structure of a speech. Ideally, ideally, everyone should have to try to have um, a structure to their speech. You should have a structure to your speech. If you do, then it is more likely going to be a good speech. If you don't have some form of structure, you may be penalized by adjudicators and you may ramble. You don't have to use a strict structure. You know, just have a mental layout of what you want to say and when you want to say it. In fact, if you have too rigid a structure, then you'll find it impossible to follow that structure. Okay? And then when you have, especially when you have rebuttals, to deal with and point of information. The following is going to be a rough outline of how to structure your speech. In, in general, just use these guidelines as guidelines and ideally develop a style and structure which you're more comfortable with. Because in this class, while we try to 
set you up with what we believe is the best for you. We also intend to set you up especially with a style that works more for you. So you don't try to be like so and so speaker in totality. You develop your style while learning, you know, what is efficient for most people. And that's how we're learning this class. Going in, I think in the first minute, which is from when your timer is at 0, 0, 0 till when it reads one minute on the clock. Within this time, it is called protected time. And we cannot be offered any point of information. What you must do within this time is to provide yourself with a good start. Win the audience, okay? You know, some people say, some people say use a joke or so, but I think rather try to state your case in a way that, you know, give a, a one-liner approach to what you'll be representing. So, for instance, if your team is going to talk about utility, it is um, better for you to start your speech out by saying things along the lines of, um, you know, where there is, where the, where the issue is talking about debate, uh, a debate on utility generally. You say where all harm cannot be avoided, we must focus on utility. We must focus on which policy provides the least possible harm or the lowest possible degree of harm. So that where we have to choose between harms, we will be choosing mostly the one that has the lesser harm, so the lesser evil. In case you're faced with two evils, you choose the lesser evil. So that win the audience, win the audience, give them an outline that they can work with. Okay. Please kindly indicate that you can hear me, everyone. We can hear you clearly, sir. Beautiful. Beautiful. So win the audience. Second thing, do not rebut. Do not rebut another speaker's speech in your first minute. Okay? First minute is not time for rebuttals. And I know, yes, some people say, you know, I'm going to start off with my rebuttal. Is best case scenario is that you don't. Because what, the, what rebuttal does is that it provides the construction. But what you're supposed to be doing at the earlier part of your speech is to create advocacy. If you learn this in debate, it becomes very easy for you. Debates would only ever you know, provide you with two jobs to do. Job number one, to provide advocacy. Job number two, to provide deconstruction. Advocacy works to advance your case. Deconstruction works to slow down your opponents on their case. If you start off and spend so much time on deconstruction, that you spend so much time on bringing down or doing rebuttals and bringing down your opponent's case, while that is a good thing, you actually have not done so much to add to your own case. So, it doesn't advance you, it kind of slows down or tries to cripple your opponents. If you understand this, it becomes easy for you to really engage. That on from minute one, you want to spend a lot more time advancing your case. So that whatever time you spend on crippling your opponent is going to now count for your benefit. So that you already have a case where they can't go ahead of you already. Define your speech. That is, say what you want to address and how you want to address it. Ideally, in your first minute, be able to state your argument in a single short sentence. And this is what I was saying. Lead with this. Lead with your single short statement. It kind of sets you apart. And I, I will always advise this. And this is like a brick kind of advice. Whenever you're debating, ensure that through 
out your prep time, you're trying to figure as well a comprehensive catchphrase that encapsulates all what you have to say in the way you have to say it. Do not be in a haste to go into the room without having met this metric because this metric is going to enable your material to be rememberable if there's anything like that. It will keep your material in the minds of the audience. So if you're at in utility, you say, we are in utility or we are in justice, okay? We are in justice must be uh, said to be done as well as it must be seen to be done. So we are in visualization. You must see justice to be done. So it's not enough to give audio promises. It's not enough to have, you know, so on and so. We must show how the people see this. So the thing that wins this debate will be a thing that shows you this and that should be the thing that your the, the central theme of your speech. Define your speech, say what you want to address and how be able to state your argument in single short sentences. Then define your team approach. This is where some people call it like a case split. Okay, you can do all of this in the first minute. Define your team approach. Say roughly what your partner will say or has said. Usually, even when both of you have a, a, the same team case, there's, there's um, a part of the material that is covered by the speaker who speaks early and the speaker who speaks later. It's called a case split. So if you are a second speaker in a team, you want to be able to reiterate what your first speaker has said to kind of reestablish the material. And this is why it is important. If you do not reestablish the material, it seems like you're arguing from limbo. Because the material that had gone, the person who had spoken before you was on the opposing side, he had done a lot of rebuttal that seemed to have damaged your material. So bringing up the material again kind of refreshes the judge's mind. And remember, you are always trying to win the judges. It refreshes the judges' minds on what they are going to expect from you as well as what your team case has been about. So you kind of create a mental note of continuity. That is what you do in your first minute, in the first 60 seconds of your speech. In the second minute, from when the clock strikes one minute till when it gets to two minutes on the clock, don't take any points of information until your foundation has been laid. Until you have developed your speech a bit, there is no use in taking points of information at the second minute. A lot of people will hear in debate and say, oh, no, I'll take it in my first minute. I'll take it in my fifth minute and stuff like that. This is because they are trying to ensure that they have established their advocacy. If you've not established your advocacy and started outlining, then don't take a point of information yet. Lay out your arguments. Some people would use the language, flag your arguments. And it's usually best to propose or oppose on, you know, for a beginner, I think three points is good. Instance, for instance, you could say, we are going to talk about the political implications, the economic implications, as well as the social implications of the uh, uh, angles we are proposing on. So if it's a consequence debate, you're going to be looking at it politically, economically, socially, on the basic, very, very basic level. If it's some other kind of debate, you say we're going to look at this on a two-principled level. We're going to look at it on the level of pragmatics with regard to instance set up by the United Nations and so on and so forth. And we are going to also look at this on the end, uh, the end benefits that is going to accrue to us when we do this project. So these are like on three points. Why I think you should propose or oppose on three points, actually, is because like, it makes it easier for you to remember, right? You can count on one finger. A lot of people, you know, and this is irrespective of whether you're using notes or not. A lot of people try to establish too many arguments. And I tell them, listen, if you have many, many arguments, you can arrange these arguments. You can thematize them into three, make them easy to deal with, and it gives your case some form of structure. Remember, 
You're not just trying to utilize time here. You're trying to develop structure to follow the timing as well as you follow what should be done within the timing. And that's how you get like the best out of it. So usually when it's best to propose or put on um, three points, begin your first point. By the second minute mark, you've already started your first point intrinsically. You're zoomed in on your first point. From the 10 minutes to the six minutes, that's from when the clock is at two to when it reaches six on the dot. Accept two to three points of information. Say, maybe when you talk about your political aspect, if you're talking about political, economic, and social, after political aspects, you take one point of information. After the, the second aspect, you take one point. After the third aspect, you take one point. Are, it does two things for you. First of all, it tests all your arguments, showing your, or your judges that you are very um, confident in the longevity of your material, and you can answer any question based on them. So you're not scared to get engagement. That's why it shows you on the first level. And on the second level, it allows you to take at least the both teams on the opposing side, which gets to show give more cre uh, credit to the app of your team. Okay. So the next thing, use these four minutes, this from the from minute two zero zero to six zero zero. Use the, that four minutes to make all your points. Effectively, this is your speech. Okay. And always make sure you refer back to the single short core sentence one or two times. Remember the single core short sentence was the one I told you to lead with, the one that explains your team case. This is why we are team utility. This is why utility is intrinsic to this debate. This is why we cannot achieve anything without ensuring that uh, in governance, without ensuring that we are dealing fair on a fair metric with all citizens. This is why egalitarianism is our intrinsic focus in today's debate. This is why there is a difference between equality and equity. And we think we should focus on equity for uh, the best distribution of resources and so on and so forth. So, you know, that core material that forms your team case this is where you want to mention it as two, three times within that four minutes because you want to keep reminding your judges what you're doing in this debate, what you're doing in this debate. It's almost like driving the message. Okay? Fine. The next thing, the next thing you would have to do after that is at this time it's your seventh minute, which is six minutes mark, the seven minutes mark. Once the six minutes bell has gone, you can't be offered any point of information anymore. Again, this is again effectively your protected time, the last protected time for your speech. Finish the point you were on as quickly as possible. Do not introduce any new points or arguments. Sum up, okay? Sum up by reiterating your main points and arguments and those of your partners if you are the second speaker in the, in the team. And ideally, if possible, restate that single course sentence as the last thing that you say within your seven minutes. Once the seven minutes mark, stay on your feet until you hear the bell, okay? Finish immediately, if possible, at least from one to seven minutes on the dot where you hear the second, um, the uh, two bells ringing. The two bang on the gavel. Stay on your feet until you hear that bell. Finish immediately if possible. Maybe by saying, Mr. Speaker, I beg to propose or I beg to oppose. And be back in your seat by 7 minutes 15 seconds. If you do these, you're going to have set up a structure to your speech that is not just structural in the sense of the way it moves your flow of argumentation. But it's also going to have provided you with a beautiful skeletal time frame in which to finish your work. Do we have any questions based on this? I would like to handle them now before I move forward. 
Do we have any questions, please? Any question? Okay, in the absence of any questions, can I, can I ask if we all got it? Do we all understand, you know, how to structure your material uh, with respect to the time frame? Yes, sir, we understand. I understand that. Okay, thank you very, very much, Mr. Success. Okay, um, I want to move to something, and there's a reason why uh, I was worried initially about about zooming in on this at this time, but um, I want to zoom into some speakers and the roles they perform. And I know we had a form of it in our last class, but the reason I want to zoom into it again right now is because this is going to lay like the final verdict for establishing the roles. Okay, I mean, from time to time we'll come back to roles because roles are important in, in BP. Uh, but I, I also want us to be able to judge when we are fulfilling the roles, to be able to judge when we are out of context with fulfilling the roles. Okay? So I want to look at, you know, like a few speakers. Let's look at the prime minister, for instance. He's the opening speaker of the government side. Um, it is the duty of the prime minister to define the debate, but it must be clearly linked to the motion. Okay? In some cases, the motion will be worded in such a way as to permit a wide variety of definition. Example, in case where they said, this house believes that the glass is half full. Or... And yet, that's an open motion. True, when we talk about motion, I'm pausing to take this out. When we talk about motion, we never talk about open motions. They are becoming a little bit um, uh, not applicable in 21st century because of how wide um, the scope of definitions could be for open motions. So uh, because we don't have that at the time, is why we are not you know, intrinsically focused on it. But... Open motions exist. And this motion, this house believes that the glass is half full, was done in the World University Debating Championship of 1998. It was one of their motions. Others will be tighter motions, which will allow for little flexibility for this mission. Example, this house believes that Northern nationalists have nothing to fear from a United Kingdom. Uh, from a United Kingdom. This was um, Irish Times debate in 1996. As a prime minister, when defining Make sure that you have an argument. You have to propose something. Saying that something is wrong and this is how it should be is not enough. You must say that something is wrong and this is what you are going to do about it. What you are going to do is a debatable part of the definition. For example, this house favors positive discrimination. I'm going to show you a poor definition and a better definition of uh, you know, positive discrimination. So for instance, in that motion, what you would do is, in a poor definition, a poor definition looks like this. Um, people have been discriminated against because of their sex, race, etc., and they shouldn't be in the future. Therefore, we we'll use something called positive definition, a positive discrimination. 
So you see, this, this kind of like states the obvious and doesn't zoom in. Okay, let me give you a better definition and you judge for yourself. A better definition says, people have been discriminated against because of their sex, race, etc. And to correct that, you are going to take actions X, Y, and Z under the umbrella name of positive discrimination. Then, that speaker now goes on to fully outline what action X, Y, and Z are and how they will work and how they will achieve the desired result. Do you get the difference? Do you get the difference now? Please, I need to Yeah, yeah, get it. The second one is more detailed and like explain it more. Beautiful. That is success, but I need also somebody else to tell me if they get it. Yeah, I get the difference. I think the second one is more huge and like more logical than the first. Okay, beautiful. Beautiful. So um let me continue. Um this time around I want to look at the leader of opposition. Notice that each time I do the role thing, each time I look at, you know, roles, the roles in the BP debate, there is something particularly that I'm zooming in on. Okay, so don't, be, don't get scared when you see the roles of debate coming up. Ah, but we've done prime minister role before and stuff like that. Don't worry about that. Just focus on what is, it, what is new about the roles that, may, that make us have to do it again. So I'm looking at opposition leader right now. It is your role as leader of opposition to set out the position to the government, the opposition to the government case. You have only seven minutes or less to come up with your opposition case, but provided that the government has presented a debatable case, um, you will be expected to handle the limited time for preparation. Outline and develop your case, then deal with the points made by the government and link back to the reason for them being flawed to whatever your team's central case is. Look at it in terms of uh, proportions. You've only seen a quarter of the government. Therefore, at most, a quarter of your speech should be rebuttal. Let me explain this very well. As leader of opposition, you only have heard the prime minister, which is one in four persons who are going to speak. It makes sense for only one quarter of your entire seven minutes to be dedicated to rebuttals, okay? Because you've only heard one quarter of the speech. That's what it means here in this case. The rest should involve outlining a substantial position case. So you see, it's also your duty to decide if the case is debatable. If it isn't, and be very, very certain that it isn't, because we usually have shitty debates because some leader oppositions believe that they have to you know, target the speeches, they have to target the definition. Be very certain that a thing is not de uh, definable or no, that's not about it. Be very certain that a thing is not um, defined in the proper way or that the definition is unfair, before you can challenge it, okay? Usually, I told you how or definitions that should be challenged, definitions that uh, definitions challenges should be provided when people have uh, given you something that is touristic. A touristic definition should be challenged. A definition that is place set and time set should also be challenged, okay? Submit an alternative definition whenever you challenge a definition. You cannot simply say that is touristic or a self-proving argument, then spend seven minutes outlining why the argument is touristic, and then you go and sit down. If you do that, then you will have failed to do your duty as the first leader of opposition. You have the ability to spot, if you have the ability to spot a touristic argument, then you should have the ability to redefine 
or at least modify the government's case to make it debatable and then engage on those terms. So sometimes when we have shitty debates, and shitty debates are really just debates that happen outside of the rules of official BP debating while being a BP debate tournament, where people don't play their parts, they don't do their roles, and eventually it turns out that you know, the whole debate just crashes down on itself because what was expected was not what we got in the debate. Let's say Prime Minister is a shitty team and they don't do a great, um, it's an initiative team and they don't do a great job defining. As opposition leader, your job is going to be to set the debate to what it should be about. Listen, we think that the prime minister's team is taking the debate out of context. In a bid to not run a parallel debate, I will engage them on what they have defined this debate to be, but I'll also give them a recharacterization of what the debate should be, and I will engage also on that level. When you do this as opposition leader, you immediately get the upper hand over the government team. One, you get a chance to engage them at their rubbish and show how that is a very terrible thing to debate with in the first place. But you still engage them nonetheless and show why that is a bad idea. But secondly, you get the idea to take them at their strongest to redefine what their case should be. So in your head, you're doing both government job and opposition job. This would automatically usually place you above them, especially if they are legit wrong. And what you did was cool. Because the judges would have to thank you for not letting the debate, you know, go down a slippery slope. So when you do that recharacterization for them, you must now engage that recharacterization as well to show what the debate should go on. Then subsequent things will now take those engagements on and so forth. But the beautiful thing is that if you are right and you have recharacterized and re-engaged them, subsequent things would now engage with your material based on the re-engagement and redefinition and recharacterization you have given, thereby making opening government's team irrelevant in the debate. And if their team is truly irrelevant in the debate, they stand a high chance of losing the debate. Also note that in BP debates, we do not have anything as an automatic force. Nothing gives you an automatic force in the debate. Okay? There's a ranking first, second, third, fourth. So nothing gives you an automatic fail in the debate. At least that much uh, we've been told to tell you guys about. Did we understand that? Yeah, I'm okay. Okay, thank you very, very much, somewhat. Moving on, the next part I want to zoom in on. Now, this is not going to be like the uh, rules per se. But I want to zoom in on defensive speech. I think that to pre prevail in a debate where the adjudicators may be inclined to see the legitimacy of both sides' position, you need to convince the adjudication that your position best accom accom accommodates and accomplishes the various legitimate interests of all parties involved in the controversy. To do so, you must develop a position in three steps. So, the reason why I'm teaching you defensive speech is sometimes you might be in a position in a debate where all things are correct. So it's not about who is right and who is wrong. It's about the degree of rightness and degree of wrongness. So who is now righter than the other or more right in standing versus who is more wrong? And that, is, that might be like the metric for deciding the debate. Everybody is on the same page. But we are now struggling with the legitimacy of interest of all parties involved. So it's not be 
either who had the widest scope, who reached the most people, who created the best utility, if the debate was about utility, who achieved the most of equality, if that was the issues that were central to the debate, and so on and so forth. So for you, you have to develop the speech in three um, steps. Step one, you must identify stakeholders and their interests. In creating a defensive speech, the stakeholders are those who will be affected by the policy decision under consideration. The stakeholders typically are groups, organizations, uh, institutions, united by their interests. Interests, simply put, are what the stakeholders desire. Adherence to principles, preservation of values, specific tangible outcomes usually defines a, social, a, a stakeholder's in, uh, interest. To convince educators that your position best balances the competing interests of those stakeholders involved in the controversy, you must first make explicit who they are and what they want. So you must first identify the stakeholders. In the first step of using the balancing argument, you must identify and discuss the stakeholders and their interests so educators can appreciate the legitimacy of their interests and therefore the desirability of endorsing the position that best balances their interests. Why you do this is because if you just go out by stating the interests of stakeholders without stating how the stakeholders come about that interest, for instance, let's say the stakeholders are companies, and you just say, um, companies are motivated by profit, and you go on and go on and so forth in stating it. You've not shown out why should we be compelled to um, vote in favor of companies simply because, you know, they are profit-oriented. But if you say something along the lines of in identifying the stakeholder and their interests, that corporations deal with large amounts of local population. So, they hold pink slips on laws and they are taxed with ensuring that people have a livelihood. If we do not um, allow corporations to make profits or maximize profits, they will begin to cut down on salaries and welfare packages of the local populations. So it is in the interest of government to allow corporations to maximize profits because that maximizing of profits will lead to better labor laws, increased salary pays, better standard of living for the workers within those or, or companies. And even though those companies are multinational companies that are not intrinsically local to the government of that state, the fact that there's going to be a trickle down of the benefits that the government allows to accrue to them is going to be something that the government citizens will, will benefit from. And since the government must protect the rights of the citizen, by extension, protecting the rights of the corporation is going to give that outline. So the government achieves more by doing more for corporations, even though they don't owe a primary responsibility to the corporation. But because they owe a primary responsibility to the citizens, then they can now go ahead with protecting corporations because corporations serve the interests of citizens. Do you see how in doing that, I have shown how the corporation's interest is intrinsically tied to the citizen's interest and how the citizen's interest is tied to the state's interest and how when we vote for the corporation, we are eventually voting for the citizen and for the state. Did we all get that? Yes, sir. Beautiful. Yes, sir. That's a very strong word. I don't see how...
Um, sorry, I, I was having like a tough time hearing you. So can you can you kindly say that again? I'm saying that I was saying that it's a very very strong like showing how. So I'm having like a lot of static with you. So that says you are breaking. I can't hear And how the link is so like I think I don't see any opposition breaking this link easily. Says, please come again. We didn't hear. We didn't hear you because we were having a very huge static. Oh, I don't know if I'm clear enough now, but yes, I was saying clear. that that there's a strong link between the stakeholders. You've established a very strong link between the stakeholders and how, like, how the cooperation affects the people, the citizens, and how it in turn affects the government and all that. Like, it's a very strong link that can be broken easily. Okay, beautiful, beautiful. So you see, this is this is why. I am te teaching you about defensive speeches. If you can identify interest, that means you can tie interest to other interests. Sometimes debate is just about interest. I mean, which interest is mostly represented? Which interest should be represented? Which interest is the intrinsic interest that should be protected? Is it the interest of the vulnerable class? Is it the interest of the working class? You know, identifying stakeholders is a thing you should be able to do naturally as a debater. And my excitement is that when you understand stakeholders from the angle of interest, what it does for you is that even in real life situations, you can, you know, you can speak of your interest with respect to other people's interest. And you could actually get a lot more people on your side to either achieve any desired goal once you can show them how your interests totally relate to each other. So identifying stakeholders and their interests in the controversy sets the stage for you to convince the adjudicators that a position you support best meets the desires of both the interests and the stakeholders. Okay? The second step now. We are going to go into the second step. The second step, remember what this step was for in building a defensive speech. There are three steps you have to take, okay? Beautiful. Second step now is where, what I'm going to call the deconstruction, the deconstruction step. You are supposed to describe the opposing side's advocacy, how the uh, opposing side's advocacy results in imbalance. So now, you've identified your side and identified interests, right? You must show now how the other side's advocacy results in imbalance. After you have outlined the interests of each stakeholder, your next step is to explain how your opponent's position results in a state of imbalance between the stakeholders. Clearly identifying your opponent's position and demonstrating how it will tip the balance in favor of one stakeholder while ignoring the interests of others who are maybe the most, people, the most important people that should be considered demonstrates to the adjudicators that your opponents are not giving due consideration to all legitimate claims in the controversy. What this simply means is that once you can spot an imbalance and how the interest your opponent is trying to preserve propound an imbalance in the controversy. It reduces their persuasion in laying claims on some, in laying legitimate claims on some um, stuff in the, on some, some of the controversies. Because, you know, to lay legitimate claims means to say that these things are right because they should be done to certain people. 
So you weaken their persuasion by weakening their legitimacy over the controversy. And that is how you start winning because you're deconstructing them too. They're demonstrating that your opponent's position does not consider the interest of a legitimate party to the controversy is relatively easy. So this is how you do it. This balancing tactic will require, though, that in doing so, you are careful not to in intimate that the other stakeholders' interests, that is those that your opponents are representing, are not legitimate. So this is where debate becomes really skilled. Debate is never about who is right and who is wrong. Remember I said that earlier. Sometimes it could be about the degree of rightness. What you're going to do, you're never going to claim that your opponent's points are illegitimate or that do the, the stakeholders that they, are, um, that they are going to or that they are supporting are not legitimate stakeholders or do not have legitimate claims. Remember that the strategy depends on balancing competing interests in the conflict. So you must recognize the uh, legitimacy of those interests you get that your opposition has. Okay? Recognizing the legitimacy of those interests is a prerequisite to balancing them. Acknowledging the legitimacy of interests of all parties involved and demonstrating how your opponent's position creates an imbalance between these interests sets the stage for the final step in the process. So you must not say, oh, no, these guys are not, they can't claim labor. Oh, for instance, now, in banning prostitution, you cannot now say that um, prostitutes themselves do not have a, a legal claim to a safe environment to work in. Okay? You cannot even say that the government does not have the right to regulate how people use their, or utilize their bodies. You understand? You must say that if your opponents are, in, are representing the interests of the government, then you must understand that the government will thrive better on based on those interests that are representing. So you must represent all interests, then now do the balancing. The balancing is the third side of, this, of the process. Step three, explain how your side produces better balance among stakeholders. With an eye toward recognizing the legitimacy of each side, it is now time to explain to the adjudicators why your position better balances both stakeholders' interests. In any case, your proposal should be a course of action that more evenly balances the interests of all stakeholders. The power of this strategy is that it creates room for your opponent's argument while still giving the adjudicators reasons to prefer your own advocacy. Given that most rounds will feature compelling arguments presented by skilled debaters, it is unlikely that adjudicators will be excited about an outright rejection of those arguments. So this is the point where you, you kind of agree to disagree. This option allows the team to recognize the authority of their opponent's arguments, or at least their interests, while presenting an alternative that better preserves the various legitimate priorities of all parties involved. So if you go through these three steps, you will be able to debate in high-end rooms where the arguments are equally persuasive, but you could represent certain stakeholders in certain ways that makes the entire thing to be more balanced on your side, and it becomes easier for your persuasion or your advocacy to thrive above your opponent's advocacy. The reason I taught you this is because I am not going to keep assuming every time that you'll be debating against shitty debaters. If I do my job well, you're going to be debating going forward against marvelously intelligent debaters. And that is where I prefer you debate with because there are two sides to every training, all that you hear in class and all that you face in the classroom of life. 
So when you get there, I need you to be equipped to be able to handle this high level. So it's not enough for me to lead you into the corridors of uh, top room debates. But I also have to lead you into those corridors, efficiently preparing your character to be able to deal with debates as they happen there. Is there any question in this round? If you have any questions, this would be the time for it. I'll be more than excited to handle it. Questions, please. Okay, so I don't know if I'm very, very edible. Hello, am I edible? Hello? Yes. Can anybody hear me? Yes, you okay, are. Okay, so yes. the question I have from this end, um, you said mentioned something about when we are trying to um, show how our kids better uh, preserves the interest of these separate stakeholders, these different stakeholders. So how do we, how are we going to be very careful? Like how do we um, navigate these parts? Now not to like undermine the stakeholders that like they have, they've have identified. Like I want to like, I want to throw more lights on that part. Like how are we going to navigate these parts? In order, in order not to like undermine um, the stakeholders that they've identified. Or at that times you might as well undermine, undermine that and maybe, maybe um, consider it as being, not not being very very necessary for that particular debate. Okay, um, your question has two parts. Are there times when we can undermine certain stakeholders? Of course, yes. There are times when you can undermine certain stakeholders. I mean, if the stakeholders do not fit into the description of the debate, no matter how much you squint, you're definitely not going to see a a, a round hole for a square peg. Okay, but then the second part, which is like the first part of your question, is how do you navigate? Um, not ignoring the interest of the other um, stakeholders that were involved. I believe, I believe that was the question. How do you navigate not ignoring the interest of stakeholders? Yes, sir, that's the question. That's the, that's the question, yeah. Okay, beautiful. The thing is, in knowing those interests in the first place, okay, knowing those interests. Like, see, um, every debate means, uh, uh, every debate has to force you to explain certain things. And certain things you have to explain in the debates. And when you do, exp do those explanations, what it does is it grants everybody listening a worldview. That worldview means that there are going to be people. Those people are going to have an expressive understanding of what the debate is about. Meaning that you're going to be, at some point, defending certain interests that you'll be very vocal apart. Question A you should ask, does this interest make sense? If the interest does make sense, then it is a legitimate interest for you to factor in. You know, it means that their, cl their claims make sense. And that is where this uh, defensive speech was assumed upon. Where everybody's claims make sense. Why should your claim be preferred? So it's simple. Just accept that their claim makes sense. But only accept that so that you can show why your, 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 your own claim is, makes more sense. Saying it in a slang form, show why even though their case is important, your own case is importanter. That is what you want to do. You want to show the higher degree of importance of your own case and why that is, um, should be preferred above their own case. So you want to balance the stakeholders. Sometimes balancing stakeholders, you might require you having things like needs and wants. 
you know, balance the needs of stakeholders versus the wants of stakeholders. Understand what that interest is. Categorize them. You can look at Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs in your spare times. Please, you could write this down. Someone write this down in the text box. Abraham Maslow's hierarchy of needs. What that um, hierarchy of needs does, Abraham Maslow hierarchy of needs. I'll, I'll come into that when I'm handling um, principles and stuff like that with you guys. I'll come deep. I'll give deeper analysis into Maslow's hierarchy of needs. But what that does for you is that it shows you stage, stages at which people are supposed to, you know, uh, have needs in life. You know, the, the stages of needs, how you need to move from survival, from survival till you get to the top of the pyramid, which is self-actualization. Everything that happens in between and how people have to move from stage to stage. Okay, the entire needs of man. So whenever you get an interest, categorize that interest based on the stakeholder. Is the stakeholder a person? Is the stakeholder an organization? What is important to that person? What should the person be focused on? If you're opponent is focusing on a different thing than what should be focused on that is your chance take them out tell them the reason why this is legit is not something that they should be worrying about at this stage okay this should be only worried about as soon and so stage but we've not gone into that stage at this point they should be considered concerned about survival and your own part ensures that they survive the most or ensures survival for uh, for them the most and so on and so forth so understanding the stakeholders understanding the interests, understanding the hierarchy of interest and the hierarchy of needs is going to help you not to ignore um the stakeholders or ignore their interests but it's also going to help you to navigate successfully what uh, is presented i hope i was able to answer your question yes sir yes i do okay thank you very much is there any other question before i go into components of an argument because now debate is getting you know it's getting thicker Oh, please remember, for um, those of you just joining class today, remember that this is an open class. You're allowed to speak freely. I highly encourage questions, especially questions you consider stupid questions, comic questions, questions that will make us laugh. But, you know, let them be questions too, you know, that I can answer for you. Or I can provide some certain kind of um, uh, answer for it. And then we'll just have enjoyment. Please. Do not feel that this class is meant for a few people to ask questions. None of this was arranged. Everybody is here in this class today just the way you are. Okay, so you have as much right to ask questions as those whose questions you're hearing. So kindly feel free to ask me any questions based on anything I have done. Ask me questions based on anything you have as a conflict or as a challenge. And I'll be very, very open to answering them. So please, before I enter components of arguments, after we've dealt with defensive speech, is there any question based on defensive speech or anything that this inspires in you by way of question that you need an answer to? Theodosia, welcome to class. Okay, in the absence of that, I'll take it that there is no questions, and I'm going to go into components of an argument. Now, the beautiful thing about debates is that it cannot happen without argumentation. Notice how we have been setting the mental framework as well as the physical footwork for us to achieve an optimum level of understanding 
before we get into argumentation because i'm trying to make the concept of argumentation really really easy for everyone so i'm attaching it already from i'm attacking it already from the angle of roles of speakers roles of um uh different types of speeches like defensive speech we just covered and so on so that it gives you an insight to tackle argumentation even before so what i want to do now in looking at the components of an argument is i'm trying to send you a an argument pornography where we undress argumentation and we look at each part of arguments and why those parts matter why those parts are intrinsic why those parts are reflective of the very authentic nature of speech and why you have to utilize those parts or watch out for when they are not utilized in your opponent's speech. So that, that's what I'm going to do right now. Arguments are traditionally divided into four parts. Okay? Um, who knows those four parts? Anybody? Anybody? I know of three. You know of two? Um, Three, three. Okay. Three. Idea, okay. analysis, and evidence. Okay. Okay. Idea, analysis, evidence. Beautiful. Uh, does anybody know of the fourth one? Okay. I think the fourth one is impact. Impact. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, that is that is beautiful. It is close. It is close. Okay. But I wouldn't use that term. Okay. So you know what? Let's let's just get straight into That's it. Calm. Let's get. Uh, I I see what you're doing there. <laughs> let's get straight into <laughs> it. You'll enjoy it. Okay. So um, there's there's a lot of you know, a lot of phrases I use for these things, but I'll, for the sake of this class, I want to talk about arguments in four bits. Okay. The first bit is assertion. The second is reason. The third is evidence. And then the fourth is link. The fourth is link. When I come to it, um, uh, J. Chinemere Manege, when I come to it, you will understand why I said it's really similar, but I wouldn't use that word for it. Okay. Assertion. Mm, assertion. What does it mean? Assertion is the title of your argument, see? It needs to be a summary of the argument in a short, snappy sentence. In debate, it is called signposting. An assertion could be, we believe that it is unfair to distribute $10, 10 million per person in the bid to solve the problem of poverty in Cambodia, for instance. So see where the challenge is. For an assertion, you just made a statement. It's a statement that could be reasonably agreed to or disagreed to, but it's a statement nonetheless. A reasonable person can agree to it and be like, oh, okay, I agree to it. I think, okay, yeah, it makes sense on this level. And I was like, oh, no, 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 it doesn't make sense. So on that level, we are just dealing with a topical sentence. So it is the title of your argument. Why is it important? Why is it important for you to have an assertion in an argument? It's important because it makes your speech easy to follow. Imagine if I had just 
went through in my entire class without telling you any of the like for instance now i told you okay i'm going to talk about the, the um four uh units of argumentation four things that make up argumentation and so on imagine i didn't go into that imagine that i did not even tell you i was dealing with defensive speech and i just ran it through and then announced ran through this one as well what it's going to do is you're going to have information and you will not know what to do with it and that is a big problem it's a big problem if you have information and please notice today we're talking about structure and there is no error it is not an error that argumentation falls under structure because this is the structure of an argument an argument is structured to have a signpost we must know what we're arguing about before we start giving reasons for it we must know what the topic is about we must know what exactly precisely we're arguing about it saves time it makes it easy for us to follow the argument it makes it um easy for us to refer back to the argument in knowing whether we have followed um cleared the doubt on the argument or not so please always try to have your assertion statements the second is reason what does reason mean reason is where you explain or justify your arguments some people say it is called the because part of the argument so when you say we cannot give um 10 million dollars to uh solve to everyone to solve problem we don't believe it is um I don't believe that it's a fair metric on equality to give $100 million to every citizen of Cambodia in a bid to solve poverty. The next line is because... So once we have entered because, everything we say after that, that justifies that because clause, is what is our reason. That is the reason for what we said, why we said what we said. This is where you explain or justify your argument. You need to keep asking yourself why. Because... Poverty is um, going to increase. Why? Because giving 10 million is going to cause an inflation that will raise the prices and standard of living. Why? Raising the prices and standard of living of the people is not the best way to achieve um, you know, uh, equality or it's not the best way to achieve or alleviate poverty. We believe that that means um, we're going to only cause a false sense of inflation that will leave the economy worse off. Why? The economy will be worse off when all the prices of goods and services are hiked because there's a perceived influx of finances circulating in the economy. And people are not going to be mindful of the hike in prices and the artificial increase in a perceived value of goods and services. What this does for them is that when that money becomes exhausted because of exorbitant um, prices of goods and services and commodities in the market, it is going to lead them to deeper levels of poverty and higher levels of debt. You know, why, why, why? You keep asking why until you have reasonably explained your assertion. This is the bulk of your argument, right? Reason is the bulk of your argument, and you should take the most time here. You need to explain everything so there are no assumptions. You want to make sure no assumptions. You want to clarify them to the essence of no more assumptions. Show why the point is true. Show why the point is important. Do you understand these? So now, why is it important for us to look at reason? Why is reason important in an argument? Both teams will give different versions of events and the morals we should have. The judge, however, will have to believe the team that explains why their arguments are right in more depth. If you have had some experience with debating and you've had some experience with talking to judges about your speech, especially after you're done debating, you, chances are high that you have heard a judge said you did not give deeper analysis. You did not give deeper definition, uh, dif- deeper um, yes, deeper analysis, you did not give insight into your work. Your work was shallow. 
your speech was shallow, it was under-analyzed. These are like the kind of terms you're going to hear. And it doesn't mean you were out of context or anything. It just means that you did not exhaust all the whys. So that when you finish your reason, there was still a lot of doubt in the minds of the adjudicators. This is what why does. And I, I like why. Out of, out of all the WH questions, who, what, why, where, when, and even how, why I like why the most is because why dissolve doubt? Of all of them, why is the one that dissolves the doubt the most? Because it gives the intrinsic purpose of things. It allows believability to naturally erupt. And this is why reason is more important in a debate and why you should spend your time on your reason part of your argument. Do not be deceived. This is the book. When you see people analyzing and you know, it seems like, oh, they have, they have dealt with your case and they have punctured numerous holes is simply because they use the tool of why okay so why is the bulk of your argument explain everything spend time here so that there are no assumptions show why the point is true and why the point is important both teams will give different version of events and the morals we should have the judge however will have to believe the team that explains why their argument is right in more depth we go to the next phase the next phase or the next part of an argument is going to be the evidence what does evidence mean? In evidence, you give an example that illustrates your argument, a typical instance of your argument. It could be a fact, a statistics, a story, or a hypothetical example. Something that you say, like, imagine that this happens, you know, usually this would be the outcome, you know, that is you giving an example. It may be a comparison with something we already do in society, showing what we find acceptable or not. For instance, in a motion, this house will legalize drugs. You could say, that alcohol and smoking, you know, alcohol and cigarettes are already drugs and they are already legalized by societies. Therefore, we should legalize the rest of the drugs because there is a precedent, right? So these are like evidences could help your part of argument in building. What evidence does is that it gives you a perspective of establishing trust. Remember, reason removes the doubt. Evidence establishes trust. It shows that, okay, we can work with this. Oh, somebody had worked with this somewhere. Oh, okay, this is reliable, okay? That is what it does for you. Evidence establishes, establishes trust in your case. It shows typical instances of where your case had, so, had been successful or where the case of the opposition had failed. And so, so you can use it to establish trust or to cast doubt on your opponent's arguments. But it's a tool that you, you it's a, it's a double-edged sword that you must use. Okay? And why is evidence important? It helps people visualize what you're talking about and makes it relevant to their own lives. You see why I say it increases and improves believability. Because when people visualize what you're talking about, they see a typical instance of it. It makes sense to them. It makes it relevant to their own lives. And it could even make them able to believe you the most. And the last part of an argument I would like to uh, refer to now is the link. What does this mean? See? Finally, you need to link your argument back to the motion. Why does it matter to the debate? See, this is in the link. When you're done giving your, you know, assertion, your reason, your evidence, you must show, okay, uh, one of the earliest ways I learned this is, why does it matter to Joe? So the, the idea behind it, this is a very funny thing. The idea behind it is that Joe is like the common beggar on the street, right? He hasn't gone to school. He's an illiterate. He's just someone on the street. But why does it matter to him? Why Joe is a very favorite character of mine is because if you're trying to explain to Joe, or for instance, you're trying to explain to Brogody, or you're trying to um, explain to uh, 
anybody on the street. Just, just take a very typical name uh, to your locality. Why it matters is that you would be able to try to explain it in a way that it is simple to follow. A great speaker does not complicate issues. A great speaker is one who simplifies complex issues. So you, you simplify issues when you link it back to the motion. What does it matter to Joe on the streets? How does this policy affect Joe? It gives him a better livelihood. And why does it matter to the entire debate? Okay, Because in legalizing drugs, Joe has an opportunity for being employed, even as a low-level worker by his level of qualification, to be able to carry out certain operations like a delivery guy or so, instead of remaining jobless on the street. So he creates jobs and so on and so forth. So in Lincoln, you ask, why does it matter to the debate? Why is this argument important? What are the scope of implications of all you have said with regards to the motion? So that's why link is important. And, you know, sometimes people don't emphasize on link, but I think that if you keep linking every argument you do back to the motion, it means that you are going to stay on course most of the times. You will be debating from the heart of the motion and you will not be lost. You cannot get easily detracted because even when you do, the mere fact that you have to link back to the motion brings you back again to the center of the debate and you can now debate from there. Why is link overly, overly important? Link guarantees that your argument is wholly relevant and understood in the context of the debate. So whenever you're talking about your argument and you give a link and you link it back to the motion and be like, these are the reasons why we should legalize drugs and you go back that way, you're making your arguments wholly relevant, wholesome, understandable, especially within the context of the debate. So it keeps you within the uh, context of the debate. I'm not going to rush into taking questions. I want to summarize this part, okay, before um, we take questions on this part. So in summary, after all, and after all that, how do you apply it in your 15 minutes to prepare for your speech? First thing you have to do is be prepared, right? Be prepared for your 15 minutes preparation time. Come, with a mental, come in a mental phase of being prepared. Have a broad general knowledge of events, issues, and so on and so forth. But be sure to prepare at least three or four cases in advance for when you are defining open motions. Okay, so for open motions, which are really not the style, just try to have, you know, think this house believes that the house is, uh, that uh, this house will go green, for instance, has been a motion on climate change mostly because, like, that's like the most um, imminent definition of going green and so on. But there are still many ways to define it, you know, and uh, in case of open motion, just have possible scenarios in your head on things you could debate with. Be prepared, right? Be sure to prepare three or four advanced cases for when you are defining opening motions. This should give you an edge in the debates you'll be, so that you'll be talking about something you know very well. Two, have an argument. See, don't base your case on loads of facts and then try to walk towards an argument. Think of the argument or case or the team line, core team line first, then the main three points to back it up, then the facts to back those three points up. We have talked about this in one of our earlier classes already. So, um... I'm going to have to send you a file. I'm supposed to drop this file on the page, but I think I'll drop it at the end, at the end of class, because um, sharing it is sharing it is a bit uh, tough. I'll do a summary. Uh, I drop it summary sheet at the uh, end of class. That will show you an argument. Point one, point two, point three. For instance, uh, in your argument, you say point one is problem and cause, maybe political. Point two is your solution, you know. Point three, 
it's your effect. And then you have facts to back that up. And then you link it back to the motion. That's how you do it. Analyze yourself and others. Okay? This is how you go about analyzing your case. In looking at problems, in a debate, you have to show a problem, a cause, a solution, and an effect eventually. In analyzing yourself and analyzing others, there are four steps to doing it. In problem, government can say there is a problem. Opposition can deny that there is a problem. Okay? Or that that problem doesn't exist. Or a different problem exists. Or the problem doesn't exist to that magnitude. Government can say there is a cause. This is the cause of the problem. And opposition say, no, that's not the right cause. This is caused by so and so and so and so and so. Okay? So there are levels we can have disagreements between government and opposition. Government can say, okay, this is our solution. And opposition say, no, this solution isn't workable. This is an alternative solution that works better. Government can say, these are the effects of so and so. And opposition can say, listen, this thing stuff doesn't... Okay, you are throwing things out of proportion. These are not the effects it's going to have. It's one way to give structure to government speech. It's also a highly effective method for the opposition to look at the government's case and say it falls down for any of the above four reasons. It can fall down for maybe the effect being inappropriate, the solution being insufficient, the cost being misbegotten, and then the problem not existing. So, opposition doesn't have to attack each area like problem, cause, solution, and effect totally. You can agree to disagree. You can agree that, oh, yes, this is a problem, this is the problem. Okay, let's agree on the problem. But we can disagree on the cause. We can agree on the problem, agree on the cause, disagree on the solution. We can agree on the problem, agree on the cause, agree on the solution. Okay? No, so disagree on the solution and disagree on the effect. Or agree on the solution and say, this is not going to be the desired effect. Also, if you, have a, if you want another effect, Okay, if you want a desired effect or a more desirable effect, you should do this. So a solution and effect usually have that challenge. It's one way to give gov uh, government speech structure, right? And it's effective for us to do that. Please know your role, okay? And this is in summary of everything. Know your role. Government, prime minister is supposed to define an outline. Opposition is supposed to rebut, provide an alternative, or possibly redefine. Leader of, uh, so the Deputy Prime Minister is supposed to defend, explain, and give rebuttals. Deputy Leader of Opposition is supposed to rebut and defend. Member of Government is supposed to back up, extend, and rebut. Member of Opposition is supposed to rebut, back up, and extend. Government Whip is supposed to explain, sum up, and rebut. Opposition Whip is supposed to rebut, rebut, and sum up. So this is like generally into how we've gone into the roles of the debate. Do we have any questions? Now it's time for questions. Hello, everyone. I'm waiting for questions. Are there any questions? Okay, I don't have any questions. Okay, that, that's great. So I'm going to assume that we all understand this, okay? As it is the custom in some of the classes, I'll be dropping a quiz. Uh, it's not like a very huge thing, but it's something you should do on your own that will help you, uh, you know, it will help you get set up for... 
other times in the debate. Uh, I'd like you to create short notes on the four components of an argument. So when you go home, think of those four components and write those four components out as you understand them in your notes. This is going to really help you. The assertion, the reason, the evidence, and the link. Also, outline three steps to building a defensive speech. I had given that earlier in our class. So if you are following me, this should be easier for you. Okay? And then finally, what are the roles of opposition leader? So these are like the three questions I think we should look out or look, uh, look out for in today's um, class. Things that we can always refer to in our understanding of debates and in our dealing with debates as a sport. Thank you uh, all very Please, the questions again. Okay, the first question is write short notes on the four components of an argument. Write short notes on the four components of an argument. Uh, outline. Second question is outline three steps in building a defensive speech. Three steps in building a defensive speech. And the third question is what are the roles of leader of the opposition or opposition leader? So it's just some small things to you know help you jog your, your mind and keep your memory of class in shape before our next class. So at this point, usually, is where I open the scope of questions. So now I'm going to ask, do you have any questions? Have you encountered any scenario in debates where you said, oh, how, how do I do this? I've been struggling with this. It doesn't have to be a beginner's question because I'm always open to taking either intermediate and advanced. In fact, it would really help uh, creating the best content for you when we are having to deal with advanced level debating, when I have to look at principles, when I have to look at queer theory, when I have to look at um, feminism, when I have to look at paternalism, deontology, and all of that. So this is going to help out. But if you've had any challenge, Structurally, in principle, in deploying of arguments, whichever way in debate, this will be the right time to ask it because this is the time when I get to handle those kinds of questions. So we are, we are now into counseling section for uh, debates. So feel free, think about them and then kindly unmute your mic and ask. I'll be waiting for them. Okay, please, am I audible? Oh, yes, I can hear you. Okay, um, I have a question. Um, it's concerning robot house. Like, when we, when we are running a robot house, is it like, is, are there better ways of, like, incorporating it into your speech, like, into your own cases, other than, um, maybe treating them holistically as, like, or differently as, uh, as reporters, like when you come to speak now, you say, okay, let me, like, uh, after introducing your case and building a strong foundation, now you now start dealing with reporters separately, but are there better ways of incorporating it within your own speech and case instead of 
like uh, bringing out a specific time to deal with them separately. Okay, that's a fair question. Um, how to deal with the uh, rebuttals? Is there a way of incorporating it? Um, yes. In fact, it is a skill that uh, people have learned over time and perfected with regards to uh, dealing with their opponents. Sometimes, sometimes when people have um, challenges with speech, this is what they do. Uh, when they are in a round they know nothing about, uh, or when they are in a round where they are in the closing and they do not have I figured that most do is they reach out to using rebuttals as their positive matter. Whether or not depends strongly on how they deploy it. You get. Hello, am I yes, audible? Okay. So whether that works or not depends solely on how they deploy that argumentation. If they deploy that argumentation in a certain way, what they achieve is they get a clear, um, they use, it's called negative matter, right? You generate material from them and use, it, use the rebuttal as positive matter. So, for instance, says, oh, okay, it's going to, um, as against, Popular opinion of it leading to saving of life and property. Uh, we believe that life and property cannot be saved in a, in a place where the government has failed its people, where the outline of government or the outlook of government has always been one of self-preservation and not, uh, not one of um, you know, protection and policies to protect the people. We believe ultimately that the role of the government, you see, I'm now generating arguments around the rebuttals. So that is one way to use it. Another way is to just convert your rebuttals and say something within your speech like, oh, my rebuttals are going to be embedded in my material. This is where I have a challenge sometimes with some speakers who do this because they don't do it appropriately. If you say your rebuttals is going to be embedded in your material, when you hit that material that responds to their that gives a rebuttal to your opponent's case, it is your job to call the adjudicator's attention to it. And, say, and this material responds to their material on unbridled indulgence and X, Y, Z. Okay, so once you're done giving that positive matter, you say, within it is already the response. This response and takes care of their matters so and so this to the effect that it shows that, you know, this matter, that material was inconsistent and so on and so forth. So, it's not enough to say my, my rebuttal is in my positive matter. No judge is going to spend their entire time that they are supposed to do your rankings to start looking into your sheets to look for what they can tag as your rebuttal. But when you mention it, they will take note of it and it becomes easier for them to reach back to it at the time when they need it to deliberate your material. You don't want to put your judge in a position where they choose your material, um, you know, they speak... For instance, you have your speech, and then your judges now say, oh, we didn't see when you said this. We didn't see. But it was embedded in my case. Yes, it was embedded. That is the point. Unembedded. Unpack it. 
unpack it for your judges. Make life easier for judges. I realize that judges usually find it easy to deal with people who have, um, who have outlined their material in such a way that it saves the judges distress. So if you have a structured case, and that is why we're having this, if we have a structured case, it's going to give your judges uh, a beautiful outlook into your matter. And what that does for you in the long run is that it makes your case more persuasive. And that is what persuasion really is. You know, persuasion dealing with your material in a way that it is easy to understand. So delivering your material in a way is easy to understand. That's the best form of persuasion ever. So does that answer your question? Yes, it does, it does. Uh, oh. I have a... You say you have another question? No, no, I have better understanding now. Like, when you want to trying to embed into your case, you have to uh, point it out. Like, it's more easier for the judges to, you know, take into it. Yeah. Beautiful. So, please, can we um, have more questions? I'm dropping a summary slide on the text space for our class for today. Just the summary and the quiz for those of you. Um, if you have other parts of the lecture you want me to give you a snapshot for, a, a screen snap for, you kindly indicate that in the text space and I'll make that available for you guys. So in the meantime, this is question and answer session. Uh, bring your questions along. Okay, see, I'll do it this way. In a bid to not spend so much time uh, on this section, I will ask uh, each person. I ask each person on my on my list. You know, if you have a question. So if you don't have a question, um, you could just say, "Oh, I don't," or "I pass," and then I would um, I will go on to the next person if that's okay. So, um, okay, Z Emmanuel. Okay, Zay Emmanuel, do you have any question? Uh, is okay, Zay Emmanuel on the channel? Okay, Zay Emmanuel, do you have any question? Okay, I'm not getting a response from there. Um, Chine Merem Anege, do you have any question? When I call your name, feel free to unmute your mic and uh, say something. I can Sorry, I can hear you. I don't have any question. Oh, okay. Okay, that's all right. Chinemere uh, Manege, do you have any question? Confi, do you have any question? No, I pass. That's all right. Uh, Samwat, any question? No, I'm good. I'm good for now. I don't have any questions. That's great. So I'm going to assume that you guys speak for the rest, um, including those who have briefly stepped out of class. 
Saturday next week. Oh, and please, everyone, uh, thank you all for those of you who invited your friends to class today. Everyone, it's so wonderful. I'll be dropping the link to class again um, in the description box in the text space so that you guys um, could feel free to share the link. Uh, I was so, so excited by the number of uh, turnouts we've had for class today issues. That there's an improvement doing best with our strategies. This class is recorded. So um, in our next class, I'll be giving you guys an outline on how to access um, pre, uh, previously recorded um, editions, how to access previously recorded editions on uh, our podcast, because I intend to set up a podcast for all our recordings. So, and then in that, that podcast as well, we'll be leaving descriptions on how to reach us. Okay. Um, of course, you can always thank you very much, Comfy. Comfy said this is her first class though, and she would better engage in the next class. Thank you so much for this. Thank you very much, Comfy. Uh, you're the best. I'm so glad you're here. Um, please kindly, if you have access to the text space, kindly write where you're listening in from in text space. I'll be reading that into the audio channel. You just write where you're listening from or your school or whatever, an identifier for your um, environment. And that goes for, yes, for everybody. Kindly do that. Um, I've put also on the channel the link to Discord. And um, this is veteran Ugum Sinachi who handled this class. And this class is happening in Bravo City. Ah, uh, yes, there is Samwat is listening from Ghana. Thank you, Samwat, so much for being in class. I'm so excited to have you in class again today. Uh, your engagements have been massive from even previous classes, and I enjoy that. Um, Success is listening from Michael Opa University in Nigeria. Michael Opa University of Agriculture. That is beautiful, Success. Thank you so, so much for um, listening in. It was so exciting to have you guys in class. Your engagements are massive. You give a, a whole new and beautiful perspective to uh, my training in the questions you ask and in the feedbacks you give. I'm still waiting for more to drop in the text space, okay? So if you are trying to reach me, you can reach me on my email at ugaxy2, ugaxy, the number two, at gmail.com. Or you can reach me on my personal line, plus two three four. 8162987675 plus 2348162987675 that's a nigerian number and it's also my main line on whatsapp feel free to chat me up feel free to hit me up and i'll be so excited to going through some personal trainings with you yeah okay they're asking for the number again the number again is plus 234 Eight one six two nine eight seven six seven five plus two three four eight one six two nine eight seven six seven five. I've also dropped it as well on the channel, so you could um add me up. Um, my Facebook handle is at u g a x y 
once you search for at UGAXY, you'll find Ugumsi Nachichukwa Mecca there. Um, feel free to connect with me. Uh, send me a DM telling me you're from class or you listen to the uh, podcast or you listen to the audio and I'll be so, so excite, excited to uh, hear from you. This was class four, right? Success. Is this class four? I think it's three. Oh, wait, let me confirm. Please kindly confirm. Oh, by the way, success here this, has... This is four. You said, you said it earlier that this is episode four. Beautiful. I wanted to check if he was following. Yes, <laughs> Thank this, you this class, four, class four. Yes, this is class four. So, um, this is episode four of season one for debates from scratch. Um, it's hopefully going to be part of the Peeling Paint Walk podcast. Once it is out, I'll give you all the details about it. And um, we really enjoy um, class. Um, please do well to hit me up on social media as well. Um, at in Twitter, my handle is at Ugaxi Debate U G A X Y Debates on Twitter. So you could follow me up on Twitter, and that'll be fair. For class five, we will be dealing with points of information and a peep, a peep into principles. I am so excited. Class 5 is going to be um, Saturday next week. Uh, I believe that will be the last Saturday in the month of October 2021. And it is going to be a life-altering experience. And definitely will alter the lives for the good. A speech-altering experience, your debate career-altering experience. Um, no, it is at UGAXY Debates. Let me, let me do that. U G A X Y D E B A T E S. So if you search that on Twitter, you're gonna find my handle. Um, success. Um, the success has been color coded in yellow. He's the technical director of um, the channel as well as um, the podcast. He's been very helpful and assisting. He's the one ensuring that this audio gets to everyone. So please kindly give it up for success. Um, I'm so excited for next class. We're going to be looking at some things like social contract theory. We're going to look at the inalienable rights of John Locke. And we're going to be looking at the purpose of government. Uh, we'll be looking at like a whole lot. There's a whole lot packed out for the next class. Please thank you all for introducing, uh, sorry, for bringing up um, or bringing in other people into class today, for inviting your friends. Please, the link I posted, share it on your, share it on your um, social media pages, share it on your debate club pages, share it to your friends who are interested in debates and public speaking. This class is available to all. We're ensuring we take debates to the ends of the earth. And we are making it at a 100% discount. Um, um, I'm sponsoring this podcast at the moment. So if you know anyone who would like to sponsor the podcast, or if you're out there listening and you would like to sponsor the, content, uh, the podcast, kindly um, call in, message me on any of the social media handles or at my email at eugaxy2 at gmail.com. And we'll be more than excited to work with you and spread debate all around the globe. 
we intend to reach out to a massive amount of people to ensure that they appreciate debate as a sport, argumentation, um, conflict resolution, and critical thinking is what we are all about. So this is me signing out. Um, it's almost 11.45 a.m. Nigerian time. And I'm going to be signing out saying thank you all for coming to class. I love you all. I miss you all. Um, if you have anything to say about class feedback reviews, this will be the time to say it so that by 11.50 on the dot, we will disconnect the class and wait till episode five next week, Saturday. Anybody feel free, take off your mic. And then this is like the closing remarks, everyone. Am I already below? Oh, yes, you are. Okay, okay. Thank you so, so much. Uh, like, the journey has been so informative. Um, I love the class so much. Like, it's, it's actually a huge step towards becoming better debaters. And I love, I love the thought process you're introducing uh, to this class. Like, I'm getting new perspective. I, I think they're going to help me develop myself. Thank you so much. Thank you very, very much, success, and we are on our way to doing more. Just as long as you stay with us, it's going to be a blissful experience and a beautiful ride. Is there any other person? Yeah, um, thank you very much. I think it was very inspirational and a very wonderful class today, just like last week. And I think um, many people will charge you for doing this. And so I want to, once again, thank you so much for, for this offer. Um, I really learned a lot. Um, and success, please, I would love to listen to I mean, the, the, the class again. Too. Please, can we um, do well with your, your recording and how we can get access to it? And so I think this class was very, very wonderful. Thank you very much for this opportunity. Thank you very, very much, Samwat. Definitely, um, hopefully by um, after class, I'll be working with success. So we are going to be on a timeline to set out the podcast. And once the podcast is ready, you're going to be, this space is going to be the first to receive official announcement of it. So you guys are going to have the first access to it. And you could always share it. And it's a repository. So you could listen from anywhere and you could refer people to these classes why we thought of recording the classes and having them available on podcasts is so that there'll be a cloud space where people can actually reach back for information like this. I do not intend to stay with this class in beginner's level. You know, at some point, these people will graduate and we'll go into advanced level debating, debating master classes and so on and so forth. So those are going to also form part of like other subsequent editions of the class. So it's, it's my pleasure to tell you that um, me and Success will be working assiduously to ensure that it is all set up for you guys' listening pleasure. And this will be the first space I'll let you know about it. So is there any other, is there any other person commenting? So thank you. That was somewhat from um, Ghana. Is there any other person?
Okay, in the absence of any other person, thank you all for coming to class today. Um, this is Ugum Sinachi signing out for the very final last time today and saying, see you guys in class five. That's episode five, season one of Debates from Scratch. God bless you all. Stay inspired. Think right, speak right, and argue correctly. Bye for now.